you want to build your brand by being a guest on industry-leading podcasts? If you're a business leader, an author, or a speaker, my guess is that you do. Picture this. You, a dynamic executive easily connecting with engaged audiences, turbocharging your top-of-funnel marketing, and creating a treasure trove of content with every episode. Podcasting is a game changer that you've been waiting for. And PodcastAlly.com is your VIP ticket to podcast PR success. Say goodbye to the ordinary and hello to the extraordinary exposure. Let the Podcast Ally team connect you with the best-in-class podcast for you to be a guest on. Head over to PodcastAlly.com and use the promo code DT for a 10% discount on Podcast Ally services. That's PodcastAlly.com, promo code DT. Welcome to High Octane Leadership with Donald Thompson. This season, we're diving deeper with more solo episodes, where I'll share the experiences that have led to recognition by EY, Forbes, Fast Company, and others. Not as a boast, but as milestones on my entrepreneurial path. From growing multi-million dollar firms to successful business exits and building high performance teams with a global perspective. I'll reveal the insights and strategies from my journey and share them with you so that we can win together. Alongside these solo episodes, we'll have industry visionaries and thought leaders, and we'll explore effective leadership. Ready to empower your leadership journey with real success stories? Let's embark on this transformational journey together. In this episode, I'm talking with Jackie Ferguson, co-founder and vice president of content, programming, and products at the Diversity Movement. Jackie is the best-selling author of the Inclusive Language Handbook and hosts the top-ranking Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast. Her impactful work earned her a spot on the 2023 Inc. Female Founders 200 list and garnered awards from Fast Company and other globally recognized publications. Jackie, thanks for joining us again. It is good to see you and sharing space with you again. Hi, Don. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and Excited about this topic. We're going to be talking about hybrid work. Pre-pandemic professionals with disabilities and professionals who are also caregivers were looking for more flexible work schedules, but corporations said no. Enter 2020, and we all got comfortable with remote work. It's been beneficial for so many, but what's been surprising is the sentiment of culturally diverse professionals that say working from home eliminates uh, microaggressions and code switching and Gen Z professionals for whom this is how they have come into the workplace for so many. We're seeing a mix now of in-person and remote work across various industries from tech to pharma to academia. And while this transition brings exciting opportunities, it also poses its fair share of challenges. So we're going to talk about that today. Let's start with some of the the positives and the negatives of hybrid work from the perspective, Don, of both the employee and the company. Can you share those with us? Yeah. So, you know, when we think about some of the advantages, there's a handful of very distinct ones, right? So one is improving that work-life balance, work-life integration is the way I like to describe it. And people really enjoy that flexibility to be more in charge of their time, their work environment, 
and makes them feel, quite frankly, more trusted uh, by their organization, right? That they can have that level of flexibility. There's also an increased uh, level of productivity. Now, we'll unpack that a little bit because what type of productivity? Because what we've seen is when you're doing solo focused work, that productivity increases, you have less interruptions, more control of those interruptions. And then another thing that's really important is burnout mitigation, right? Because people are really thinking about, if you think about things in terms of uh, two words, right? Fatigue and burnout. Fatigue is physical, right? Like you, you, you've been working 80 hours, you're, you're physically tired, you're mentally tired. Burnout is, is really more related to your mental health. It is more related to how you feel about the work you're doing. Do you feel productive? That feeling of being overwhelmed, that's more in the burnout category. But hybrid work allows people to mitigate that uh, because they're working in an environment that is more comfortable and suited to them as an individual. And so those are some of the positives that, that we have at a very, very high level. Now, anytime you have very strong positives in something uh, you know, like you know, work, work-life balance and the style of work, there are also some things that could be a little bit better. There's also the concept of uh, bias towards those that are in the office versus those that are remote. Another thing that we think about when we think about hybrid work is that function of mentorship and career growth. Because a lot of times the folks that are making the decisions about who to promote, who is a emerging talent, are more likely to feel comfortable in a traditional work environment. And so they're in office and, and give more credibility to those they see more often. And so that has to be managed. The other thing that we're seeing is that uh, companies invested millions of dollars in creating high quality physical spaces, right? So there is a very strong pull from executives to use those spaces. And so when executives go into the office and it is 25% full, there is a natural negative association with the business value of the investments that they've made. And then teaming and collaboration, I think, is much stronger in person, ideation, brainstorming, problem solving. And so while there are very strong positives for hybrid and remote work, there are also opportunities to how do we successfully blend the two to make sure that we create that holistic employee experience. Right. And it it seems to be harder to have that blend of remote employees, hybrid employees, in-person employees than it was just when everyone was remote during the pandemic. Because you forget about people and you, you know, you don't have things set up for your remote employees the way that um, you did when everyone was remote. Right. So it's not top of mind anymore. That's I think that's a phenomenal point. Um the thing I would extend on that point is that when we're all doing something together, no one has the fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. Right. But now when you have a subset of your team that is remote, a subset of your team that's in the office a few days a week, now all of a sudden you've created different communities. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're already struggling with managing, integrating, and including and understanding 
different communities. It just so happens right now we're not talking about race. We're not talking about sexual orientation. We're not talking about generational. We're talking about work styles. But that is a community. And so what leaders are struggling with that they have to learn to overcome is how does hybrid work and its value, how is it reflected in the business that you're in? the environment that you're in, the competitive landscape that you're in. There are many companies that are in financial services in New York. Um, certainly, uh, Elon Musk at Twitter is a, is a big-time CEO that's focused there. There are folks that I know that are actively encouraging and, in many cases, mandating people come back to the office. And what is occurring is that we are creating different types of work cultures, and that's okay. As long as the leadership, the management, the company is clear of what kind of business environment that they're bringing employees into, then employees and people can make those choices of what kind of organization is going to be best for them. And it's not one size fits all. There are companies that are thriving right? With an in-office focus, right? I was on uh, a panel uh, with an organization. It was the North Carolina Association of Corporate Directors. And I was doing a panel and the chief human resource officer for bandwidth.com, which is one of the top employers in Raleigh, North Carolina, they're in office five days a week. Within their campus, they understand flexibility for childcare and different things. They have a great collaborative setup. But they made a corporate decision that they wanted innovative, collaborative teams, and they believed from the top of their organization down that in-office participation was strategic to their business. Bravo. Good for them. It's working for them. In that same panel, the CEO for RTI International, which is a research-based organization, global firm, 6,000 employees, has a hybrid work policy. That's working for them. And so what I encourage business executives and leaders to do is not try to look across industries, look across your competitive landscape for some kind of cookie cutter best practices for you to follow, but to really understand who your employee base is today, the kind of work they're doing today, the kind of employees you want to recruit in the future, and determine the best hybrid policy that works for you. I was talking to an executive that was really hitting the drumbeat for bringing everybody back to the office and was asking my advice, but really was asking my confirmation for his thought process. And you have to, as a coach, you find that a lot, right? People aren't always asking for your advice. Sometimes they're asking for you to validate what they want to take to the board, what they want to go do. And in this case, he was asking for me to validate it. And I couldn't. I said, tell me what percentage of your workforce is going to be millennial and Gen Z. And he gave me the percentage, and I won't, won't name drop or, or, or share that data. I said, well, have you looked at the data around how Gen Z views hybrid work? They view it as a necessity. They view it as the ability to really create that personal, professional integration. They view it as something that the employer shows that they're trusted because they don't feel as micromanaged. And so if you are going to eliminate hybrid work, 
then you have to understand that a certain percentage of the population you have now and the population you're going to recruit doesn't agree with you. And that could be a barrier to you recruiting, retaining the best talent. I'm not here to tell you whether you're right or wrong. I'm here to tell you that you have to look at the data and the demographics of your population, not just what you perceive as the right thing to do based on your personal situation demographic. And that's what a lot of business leaders are doing, right? Is they're driving the come back to the office mantra because they're accustomed to that type of work and feedback, and that's how they grew in the organization. Mm-hmm. And we have to evolve as leaders to really look at the census of the people that we're leading and make the best decision for our organization, for our clients, for our stakeholders. And Don, you talked about being trusted as an employee. Sometimes managers feel like they need to see their employees working to believe that they are. How can employees ensure that they're communicating productivity to their managers while they're working from home? Thank you for that question, because a lot of times in our work world, we put all the responsibility on the leadership. And there is an opportunity for those that are proponents of hybrid work to make it even more acceptable. And so let me give a couple of very clear examples of folks that work remote with me that make me feel comfortable in what they're doing. Number one, we have all of these amazing video chat tools, whether it's Slack, whether it's Teams, whether it's Zoom. Check in with your manager spontaneously, just like you would if you were going to walk by their office. Do you have a moment just to catch up? Remember the same fundamental things work, right? You want to make sure that you're creating that positive connection. Number two, be very good at sending updates whether it's twice a week, whether it's once a week, of the things that you're looking to accomplish, what's worked, what are you working on, and what are some areas that you need some help and support. Because now that business leader reads and gets a quick update of what you're doing, what you're up to, what you're accomplishing, and where they can add value. And and, and it puts that communication responsibility not just on the leader or your manager, but you're making it now more of a two-way street. The second or the third thing that I think is really important is with your teammates. One of the things that is nice about being in the office is you get to have these accidental, brilliant conversations, right? You can see somebody in a conference room that's finishing a meeting and and jump in and have a quick five-minute dialogue with someone. You can see someone in the lunchroom that you haven't seen in a little bit and really just check on their kids and different things like that. I talked to a business leader who... Uh, runs an organization of about 100 folks, a bigger company, but their team is about 100 folks. And they have a spreadsheet that they keep up with their interactions with their full team. And so each week, they will, four or five folks, send a quick email note. Four or five folks jump on a quick Zoom call just for a 10-minute virtual cup of coffee. And they make it deliberate that they stay in touch with people as if they were present Uh, in that physical sense. It's not the same, but it's so much better than people feeling that they're not being thought of or thought about. That's great advice. You know, as you mentioned, we're seeing the divide between business leaders wanting employees to come back into the office and employees wanting to stay remote or at least hybrid. It feels like 
giving and taking away for some, right? So you can work from home. Now you can't. You've got to come back to the office. You talked about, you know, there being some, uh, no one right answer, but depending on what the demographics of your employee base are, depending on what your industry or work is, it, it may vary. But what's the right answer? Is there is there one strategy? Is there one blueprint to think about when you're considering, do we, you know, continue hybrid? Do we go back into the office full-time? Do we create more flexibility for employees? And then what's the proper way to communicate changes to employees that they may not be in love with? Yeah, that's a couple of big topics there. And I'll start with the latter first in terms of communicating changes that the employees may not be in love with. Um, Because based on the data, the research that we've done and, and the folks that we work with, you know, for example, folks that are Gen Z are less inclined to work at a company that they have to be in the office every day. They're, they're just not going to work for you for, for long. Now, it's so the only job they can get, down economy, great. But as soon as another opportunity gives more flexibility, they're, they're out of here, right? Where the, when you look at baby boomers and Gen X, they're less likely to want fully remote work because that's what they're used to. So there is some very distinct generational divides. So to now answer your question, when you're looking at changes in policy or a policy that's not people are not in love with, you have to get really good at explaining the business outcome and why. People can do and push through things they don't agree with, but it's tough to push through things you don't agree with and that you don't understand. And so that means in your town hall meetings, that means in your one-on-one with leaders, that means in your smaller groups, if you're bringing folks into the office, there should be collaboration, productivity reasons why you're doing it. It should be because you're having more customers and clients that are visiting campus, because you want to see more collaborative work across teams. You have to slow down and not try to use a dictate in order to get people to move forward with things that they don't like or that they don't understand, you have to slow down and explain it to them. People in the work environments today that I work in, clients that we partner with, things that I've read, people aren't into being dictated to anymore. It just doesn't work. And since it just doesn't work, you can try it at your own peril. And you're going to lose people that you don't want to lose. So my advice to business executives, if you believe that bringing people into the office is more productive, tell people why, tell people when, and then tell people how they're going to manage the flexibility that they think that they're losing. One of the things that the chief human resources officer at Bandwidth said very succinctly, we want people to go to the tea party for their kids at school. We want them to be at the after-school baseball game. We are not trying to limit the work-life integration. So we purposely make sure that people understand there is still a high degree of flexibility in how they work and live. It just means the dominant work life with us is going to be in the office. 
it doesn't mean the absence of flexibility. And that's something that you have to model, communicate, model, and communicate. And then you'll get more and more people that are on board. Because to your earlier point, people do think about change as having something taken away. People don't think about change in terms of something being additive to their work life being better. So number one, that explanation. The second thing I would encourage leaders to do is when you have your in-office times, people need to feel that it's worth it. So that means it's not just coming in the office. Select what days folks are going to be in the office so you have the highest degree of collaboration opportunities available. Make sure that you're having your team meetings, your town halls, your celebrations and different things to recognize and reward during those time in the office because you want people leaving at the end of that business day feeling good and productive that they've spent that time together. And so it does create a leadership opportunity from an employee comms standpoint when we're talking about hybrid work as critical as the policy itself. Got it. And then do you think there is a right answer? Is hybrid work the right answer? Yeah, based on the way society is trending and, and Gen Z being in the workplace, is that the right answer? So I will, I'll tell you my opinion, which I appreciate the space to share. And then there's a handful of examples where in my coaching practice, I'm working with a handful of CEOs and COs that are bringing people more back to the office and what I'm encouraging them. And so one, I don't encourage a all in five day a week, everyone's got to be in the office. That feels so different than the levels of flexibility, freedom, choice, trust that your high performing employees are used to these days. And so I think it's going to, it's a recruiting misstep. And again, this is, this is my opinion, but this opinion is based on working now with hundreds of companies, a lot of use cases. The hybrid component where there are a few days a week where everyone's in the office together or specifically work teams that work together. So if you are running a global organization, right? Everybody in your 100,000 person organization doesn't need to be in the office on Tuesdays. I'm really talking about that work team interaction level, right? From that zero to 100 folks that you're interacting with, those work groups should have similar days in the office so that you're building the things that you can't do as well remotely. And so for me, I'm encouraging leaders to land on a hybrid policy. And I think people can appreciate and and respect the need for in-office time and its value and enjoy it and embrace it and fully engage and then know that a couple days a week they're going to get to focus on more of their individual work, things that take their uh, individual time and focus and productivity and give that blend. And then on that other side of 100% remote, I'm seeing that as actually one of the most difficult, one of the more difficult things to be successful unless the work is highly transactional. But it is more difficult. You have to be more disciplined, more intentional to build team if you have a 100% remote workforce because it starts to feel like a team of freelancers 
you, you really don't have a cohesive message and momentum around the brand of the business because folks are doing more and more of their individual focused work. It's not wrong. It's not bad. I'm just seeing of the three scenarios, that is one of the most, that is one of the tougher ones to execute. And it's even tougher to execute that at scale because I do think that people need to see each other for mentorship, for collaboration, for problem solving. That's helpful. Thank you. Don, you talked about work-life integration, and that may be a new term for some people. We've all heard of work-life balance, but what's work-life integration? The reason I use the term work-life integration, very intentional, is because balance is not realistic. Sometimes you're going to have a lot going on at home. Sometimes you're going to have projects at work that are you're not going to be able to get done in 40.1 hours a week. So what you have to do to be able to sustain is to make sure that when you have things that you need to get done for your family, that you have the space to do it, right? And sometimes during the work hours is the only time to go to a parent-teacher conference or things that you need to do that are important for your kids, for your family, X, Y, Z. And then having the tools to where you can finish up your work in the evening time and integrate that balance. There are many folks that I work with that have done very well over the years that need to go pick up their kids at a certain time each day because they are uncomfortable with a lot of the things going on in the world, having them ride on public transportation or different things of that nature. But then we'll hop on with their technology tools and finish up uh, later in the day. Most corporations, most leaders are more than happy to see employees manage that as long as the standard of excellence is high and the work gets done and the communication is clear. I think it's very, very important that we use a terminology that we can actually execute because there's always going to be times where things are out of bounds. I had, um, I'm on the board of a handful of companies and I had the CEO of one of the firms give me a call and one of their kids had a surgery. And so they were going to be out of pocket in terms of physical interaction with their team for about a week and a half. They communicated it with their team, with their clients. Work still got done, but got done a little bit differently during that period of time. But man, no one, not clients, not me as the board chair of that company, not uh, the, the folks that were reporting to the CEO, everyone rallied around it because they're like, wait a minute, what a great thing that this leader is able to do that, take care of family, but also continue to get the work done. Now I feel comfortable if I have something I need to integrate like that, that that space is there for me too. And so it's really, really important when I distinguish between work-life balance, which I don't think you can achieve on a long-term basis, versus work-life integration to where you're partnering your personal and professional life, I think it's much more doable. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Don, years ago, it was, you know, foosball table or Friday night beer taps that created <laughs> culture, right? How do you develop a strong culture and a sense of belonging with remote or hybrid employees today? What are some best practices there? Yeah, I will say there's lots of foosball video games that are collecting <laughs> dust. Right. And it was a phase and a fad. And I think mostly what people want from their work environment is to feel valued. 
to feel supported, to feel rewarded for things that they deliver for the organization. And that those, those fundamentals are similar regardless of whether somebody is in the office, fully remote, or a hybrid employee. So now when you do have employees that are more remote, that simply means as a leader, you have to make that much more intentional focus in your one-on-ones to not just check on the details and the data associated with the job, but what's going on with that individual as a person to create and keep, to create and keep that connection, right? And so one of the things that is really important is when I'm talking with somebody that's more remote, I'll start off and say, look, we'll get to the business in a moment. Tell me how your kids are doing and really mean it and develop that relationship with that same individual that if we've got a 20-minute meeting, not an hour one-on-one, listen, we've got 20 minutes. Is it okay if we just kind of jump in and get right to it? Because if you have a 20-minute meeting and you've got something really, really important and you spend six to seven minutes of that 20 minutes, right, going through the small talk and different things, that means you're moving off target, right, with the business that needs to be done. So I'm mindful, number one, of the amount of time we've allotted. Number two, I ask and I sincerely want to know. I don't ask if I don't want to know. I I try to be very... um, transparent and authentic in, in that, in that moment. But I give people a clue of what moment we're in together and give them that space. And what I will tell you is some of the biggest leadership mistakes that I've made in working with people, independent of hybrid, remote, XYZ, is where I misread the moment they were in. I gave hard coaching when they needed a pat on the back and a, sh- and a shoulder. I gave direct feedback when they needed support because they were struggling with something. If I asked someone how the kids are doing, tell me about some of the projects and how they're going, and I ask some questions initially, usually if they start talking about kids and family, if something's going on that's a struggle or a challenge, it will help me with the right tempo for the business side of the conversation. Because I certainly don't want to be hardcore on deliverables when someone tells me that they were up all night with a kid at the emergency room that I didn't know about, or something was going on with a family pet, or something was going on with a, a mom or dad or a family member. And I can't even count anymore how much that saved me by simply asking that, how are things doing? Let's, let's just take a few minutes and catch me up on how things are going outside of work and letting people share. And then digging into the details. Because here's the thing from a business standpoint. Why say it if it's not going to land and be effective anyway? Right? And then what will happen, and as, as people get more and more comfortable with sharing, now over time, we can develop a depth of relationship in person, over Zoom, over whatever. Because we've practiced communicating in that new platform. And that takes time and and, and an intentional effort. I love that. So I'm seeing there are uh, things that the employee should do to make sure that they're communicating their productivity. There are things that the manager should do to make sure that 
they're infusing a strong culture of relationships, um, which is important, especially with hybrid and remote work. That's all great advice. There's so much in society, Don, that's unpredictable. Like we couldn't have anticipated this pandemic and how it's changed our world. But based on the the conversations that you have with leaders all around the world, what do you think the next wave of work might be? Oh my gosh, what a big question. I I will say, um, you know, with the advent and really the socialization of, of AI is going to be a huge change for knowledge workers. And so I highly encourage people to start really playing with, working with ChatGBT, other AI tools, and being familiar. And so I think that's going to help make uh, knowledge work more productive faster, but it is not a silver bullet. It will not do the work for you, right? But that's number one as a technology shift. The number two thing is how interdependent we are with the global economy. So I think we can't be so, and I'll speak for myself, so arrogant living in America that we're not looking at what's happening, what's being impacted across the globe, how we're perceived on a global standpoint. So I would say AI, I would say global footprint. And then the third thing I would say is that even whether it's a great economy, recession, tough economy, any of that, um, people demand a personalized work experience. And so the way that we lead teams and individuals is forever changed. People expect clear, authentic, open, and timely communication for their leadership about the company and about their role within the company. And won't accept anything less than that. And so I think that leaders that are transitioning away from that command and control really have to understand the people skills required to lead in the new economy and that active listening skill. Like right now, you're asking me questions, which I appreciate in the space and and I'm sharing ideas. One of the things I've had to work on and continue to improve is that active listening so that people can share their ideas so that I can create an environment where the best idea truly wins, where diversity is just not based on the things that we see, but how we think, how we collaborate together, how we innovate together. And I think that when we look at the changes in the world of work, I think AI is huge. I think a global perspective is huge. And I think uh, a personalized work experience is here to stay. Those are, I think, the three pillars that when I talk to CEOs and am educating them on what they should think about and, and work to improve, uh, those are the three things that we're starting to, to take a real, real look at. That's helpful. Thank you for sharing that. And you're right about the AI piece. We've, we've all got to really dig into that and understand how to use it because, you know, even those of us who do deep work need to have that little bit of a head start to continue to be as productive. Don, what do you want to leave your listeners with um, regarding successful hybrid work? I really want to leave our listeners with the question and the point that you made of what you can do as a team member to encourage management to even be more accepting and adopting of hybrid work is a good thing. And I think that balance of responsibility to make sure that communication is clear, to make sure that relationships are continuing to grow and evolve. And that employees remain uh, able 
to have that flexibility to where they feel trust, mitigate burnout, and have the opportunity to be their best self at work for those that have uh, different uh, situations that that a hybrid work is helpful for. And we talked about um, a lot of different topics, but I'll end with this one. Anytime you take personal responsibility to make something different and grow, you raise your stature because you're creating an opportunity of control. And that's one of the reasons I really liked putting that communication element for hybrid work as a two-way street. It doesn't absolve the leader from being clear and concise on the why and the when and the business value of what they're doing. But in an environment where employees want that personalized work experience, I do think there's an responsibility for team members to give that level of communication and transparency back to the leadership so the best ideas can truly win and grow environments. Thanks, Don. This is a great conversation. Thanks for thanks for spending time. And uh, it goes by really quickly. You're a great interviewer. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us on High Octane Leadership with Donald Thompson. Today's episode is a step in our collective journey towards leadership excellence. Remember, every story we share and every insight we gain is a piece in the puzzle of our leadership journey. For more insight and detail, hit the subscribe button so that we can stay connected. For deeper information and more episodes, go to donaldthompson.com. Continue to lead with vision and purpose, and until we meet again, embrace your role as a high-octane leader in the ever-evolving world of business.